to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston, and tonight I'm joined by Joe to talk about the Texans' loss to the the Minnesota Vikings. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing all right. I uh, should be doing terrible uh, since we're we're 0-4, but I got drunk. Uh, I'm still drinking a little bit. I'm better now, Uh, but I was able to drown away my sorrows a little bit in the middle of the day, so I'm doing okay. Yeah, it's kind of like the reverse of like a child who gets too much sugar in them and then takes a nap after having a sugar rush, but that works out <laughs> as well too. Um, so today the Houston Texans lost 31-23 to the Minnesota Vikings, and yeah, you know, personally I think this offensive performance by them today was worse than it was in their previous three games because Kansas City has you know fringe top ten pass defense, the Ravens have a top five pass defense. The Steelers have, you know, a top three all around defense, both against the right and the pass to start this year. And so, you know, scoring 20 points or so against those teams isn't ideal, but it's not, you know, impossible or unreasonable, even though the offense looked, you know, really putrid and listless at times in those three games. But this week, this week, they're playing the Minnesota Vikings and the Vikings defense. It stinks. It's really bad. Uh, Their pass defense this year entering this game was allowing 8.1 yards an attempt, which is 28th in the league. And this was the team to really like show off this vertical passing offense against because not only are their cornerbacks bad, but their you know, starting cornerback Mike Hughes was out. So they try out Cameron Dantzler, Jeff Gladney, Chris Boyd, Holton Hill. None of these guys are good. They're all bad. And they also lost Harrison Smith in the first half because he hit Jordan Aikens in the head right uh, head on. And they play some of George Iloka. He's really bad too. And so they're not only that, but the Vikings have a bad pass rush. It's, Yannick and Gakwe, it's a lot of guys who, you know, like prospects are interesting. You show some flashes here and there, but nobody that provides any consistent disruption at all. And you're also looking at a situation where it's Yannick and Gakwe against Larry Tunsil game, where Ngakwe had some like chase back plays, but there's no pass rush here at all. So you have an offense with, you know, quarterback who a lot of people think of as a top five, like quarterback, like MVP caliber sort of guy who I thought of as that until this season happened going up against one of the worst pass defenses in the league. And after all that, despite this matchup opportunity, the Texans scored 23 points, lost in, you know, on the on the final fourth down the game because Will Fuller couldn't bring it in. And again, this is a bad pass defense. Despite all this happening, Deshaun Watson was 20 for 31 for 300 yards, averaged 15 yards of completion, which comes out 9.6 yards, 9.67 yards in attempt. But this is the one thing that is so unbelievable on passes over 20 yards through the air. He was three for three for 89 yards and one touchdown. He didn't find Will Fuller down the sideline until there were six minutes left in the third quarter. It took 40 minutes, 40 minutes for a team of professional football men. This is year seven, the Bill Bryan era, uh, to understand that, yeah, the Vikings cornerbacks are really bad. We can throw My the ball goodness. deep down the sideline against them. It took them 40 minutes of game time to figure this out. Absolutely oh. insane. Uh, on throws between 10 through 20 yards, Deshaun Watson's four for nine for 72 yards and two touchdowns. The run game averaged 3.7 yards a carry. They ran the ball 26 times. Again, this is an awful pass defense. They have bad cornerbacks, no pass rush, missing 
you know, the best player on this entire pass defense and Harrison Smith as well too. And they ran the ball 26 times compared to 31 pass attempts. And they were down for the majority of this game as well too. Brand cooks had zero catches on three targets. That's it. Nothing else at all. Uh, I, I, I can't like, I can't even fathom, you know, this idea that they, that they add, you know, all the speed, this idea that they're going to do a lot of fun things, that they have these really great plans in store that they thought train DeAndre Hopkins and getting Brand Cooks and David Johnson would turn into, you know, the super offense that would be able to beat Kansas City and Baltimore, which didn't happen, of course. And not only that, it turned to a super offense that couldn't put more than 23 points against one of the worst pass defenses in football. And it and the funniest part about all of that is that Bill O'Brien got exactly the game he wanted. Because what Bill O'Brien loves to do is he loves to play close games and he loves to have his team chart win in the end. And for whatever reason, for the majority of his career, he's gotten extremely lucky and fortunate in those situations. This year, the Texans are 0-2 in one-score games. Last year, they were 9-3, including the postseason. That's where thing doesn't typically work year to year. And the Texans are seeing that one-position loss record. The Texans lost this game because they didn't attack the Vikings vertically and downfield often enough, early enough. And now they're 0-4 because of it. O'Brien's on the hot seat, I guess, if that even means anything at all, um, considering the ownership group and he never, he's never going to go away at all to begin with. But yeah, awful. One of the worst games I've ever seen uh, the Texans ever play. And in, again, in like the context of the Minnesota Vikings, comparing to the other three teams they play, to have this offensive production against this opponent with this enormous on-paper mismatch and exploit three times is absolutely inexcusable and stupid. And the other thing I can't get over about it too is like, you know, I just write about football. I played football like 10 years ago. I haven't played football since then. Uh, I, I'm not a professional football man. I'm sitting here staring at my grass that needs to be cut uh, before it gets too cold, you know. And I'm able to pick this stuff up just watching video and looking at numbers. And yet these guys, have, you know, Bill Bryant's been here for seven years and still he fails to understand these mismatches and exploit them early and often enough. And the Texans lost this game because of that. And uh, I, I can't get over it. I, it really was unbelievable today. And at the future, great. This was for you. This was my attempt at an offensive rant. And uh, thank you for the question and, and pouring this out of my heart like this. <laughs> that rant, that rant deserves a drink. Ugh. Oh, my God, that was so bad. I look like Bill O'Brien made me look like the biggest sucker on earth. I really thought when they got Cooks, Broaden Johnson and Broaden Cobb, that this was going to be an all-out passing offense, and he was copying off of Andy Reid. We were going less coast. Sean Watson was going to pass for 5,000 yards. And uh, now we're here, and I look like an idiot. I look like the biggest dummy, and the team is 0-4, and, and there is everyone is to blame, really, especially Bill O'Brien, who, I mean, he he's even more to blame now since he was the play caller. And, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's bad. And I, for, I forgot that part of it, too. And this morning it was announced that Bill Bryan would have a, a heavier hand in play calling duty. So not only would he you know, participate in picking plays, but he'd be the one to rela- relay them to Deshaun Watson. And you know, Bill Bryan did the same thing in 2016. He took over as the offensive coordinator for George Godsey that season. And the Texans still had, you know, one of the worst offenses in football. And uh, name redacted was the worst non-rookie quarterback in football that year, despite being paid, you know, $16 million a year, uh, whatever it was at that time. I think it was more than that. I can't remember exactly. It was four years ago. But yeah, on, and then including that, he needs to take over more responsibility for the offense 
And then this is what it, it brought out of him as well, too. It's it's all just completely like insane and spectacular and hilarious. It's just like there's been unprecedented scoring in the NFL. It's been like offensive boogaloo like every week so far. And the Texans with an offensive coach with Deshaun Watson and like tons of veterans at wide receiver that are all proven talents are at the bottom of the league. Now, I mean, like, like you said, the first three games, they've, they've been going against good defenses, even though I don't like that as an excuse because Houston's supposed to be a good team. But this was the game. This was the game that they were going to show up and they were going to show out against an embarrassing passing defense. And they just, they got worse. They got worse. Mm-hmm. They've yeah, I didn't. Worse. And I didn't think of that at all as far as the context of the NFL, too, where you know, sporting's been up dramatically um, these first three weeks and first four weeks now. And I do think, like, you know, defenses, they're not used to tackling. I think a lot of it's a lot of tackling issues, more than, like, offenses kind of figuring things out um, and defenses having to, you know, rechange things to get back ahead of offenses because the football really, really kind of works in cycles like that. And so I think it's just kind of like losing the physicality of it by, you know, hitting each other in practice and not trying to murder one each other. Unlike mm-hmm. you kind of get to do in preseason games too. But yeah, that's a great point too, that whenever you can include this offensive output in this uh, ecosystem the Texans are playing in, it makes it even more insane. So at the end of this game, Texans found themselves down 31-23, and they're at Minnesota's four-yard line with 154 remaining. They hand the ball up to David Johnson at the middle in the first two plays. He gets stopped on each one. They run a quick speed option. Johnson drops the pitch. And he sees Georgia Loca in front of him. He thinks, all right, I got to catch this ball and then make a miss and try to win the game. He drops the pitch while he's trying to do that. And I'm excited to watch <laughs> the coaches film of it because I do think, I don't know if Laramie Tunsil is supposed to make that block and outruns it or not, but he has Laramie Tunsil out there too in front of him. I'm not entirely sure um, what he was doing. I think he took a bad path up to Eloka, and that's why you know, Johnson even had to make that decision too. And then on fourth down, they throw it up to Will Fuller in the corner of the end zone. He gets one hand on it. He brings it into himself but he's unable to get both hands to make the ball. It rubs itself against the turf. The Texans lose. And so in this situation, you know, being at Minnesota's four-yard line, being uh, being down 31-23, 154 left, and the Vikings having three timeouts left, do you like the Texans' decision to run the ball, try to make Minnesota use some timeouts here? Or do you think they should have been more aggressive in their play calling to try to like, you know, get allow Deshaun Watts to make a play happen and throw it to score in that spot? Or were you good with how Houston tried balance? You know, not only do we have to score and get the two-point conversion, but we need to do so and make sure that Minnesota doesn't have the opportunity to kick a field goal against us and win this game. I think um, in that case, since they were so close to the uh, end zone, I would have been fine just trying to run it because David Johnson was proving this game that he could at least get a few yards. If jamming him up the A-gap was Bill O'Brien's plan this whole game, which it seemed like it was, this was the place to do it because he was getting at least a yard or two every single run. There was only a few that were truly blown up. So I would have been fine just jamming him up the middle because chances are he would have been able to just run into the end zone and get the touchdown. I don't know about the two-point conversion. Um, a trick play there would have been better, but we never even got to see that because Will Fuller dropped his pass. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it was, I would have personally, like, I would like this speed option play. I think that'd been a better play on first down, though, and run out of the shotgun. Um, yeah. I would have liked to see it, like, see that play early on the downs instead of what they did with Johnson. My problem with those first two runs, too, is like Houston doesn't have a good run blocking offensive line. 
that moves the line of scrimmage very well, and they're not like a very good short yardage team because of that. And so like, you're better off getting Watson some sort of pitch or zone read and letting him try to win the game if you're going to run the ball. And that was my biggest gripe with the first two play calls. It wasn't necessarily running it, but it was how they did so. And like use the speed option on first down. Use Watson his zone read. Run the zone read fake and then have uh, you know, Randall Cobb pulling behind him and running a pitch with him like they did with Kiki QD a year before. Yeah, really. You know, do something like that that you know gets Watson in space, allows him to make the decision, make the play, and say give it to Johnson. Sneak or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Like, well, like what Minnesota ran with Kirk Cousins on fourth and three on a draw play, you know, anything yeah. like that would have been better than having David Johnson, who's not a very good short yardage runner, having to run through tackles, going running behind a, an offensive line that's bad at moving the first level as well, too. And so that was my issue with it, it wasn't necessarily um, like the decision to run. It was how they ran the football yeah. and how they got them spot, themselves in the spot that they were into. I agree with that. You proved me wrong. Uh, um the, the other thing, too, about this is I think the ending was really fitting. I don't, there's this you know, Carl Jung idea of synchronicity where some things are like too coincidental that there's something else going on at play, whether it's like an alignment of magnetic field or whatever, or you can call it God or whatever as you want to call it. And I do think <laughs> this is a good example of synchronicity where you have Houston running this third down speed option play. David Johnson drops it. Um, fourth down, they throw up to Fuller, who's unable to make this one-handed catch. And these are this was a decision that really runs concurrently with decision trade DeAndre Hopkins. You have Brand Cooks for him, or you get you get David Johnson for him a second round pick that you flip to Brand Cooks and do a pick swap with Arizona or with Los Angeles so you can take Ross Blacklock. Cooks has zero catches this game. You have David Johnson fumble on third down. And fourth down, Will Fuller drops a pass that we've seen DeAndre Mo- we've seen DeAndre Hopkins make that catch maybe fifteen times in Houston while he was here, maybe twenty times here in Houston. And that's Maybe a play a that he would make. Yeah, that's yeah. a play he makes. He makes that catch every time. And I wonder if Houston decided to run the ball those first three downs because they didn't feel comfortable like a big possession rece- receiver in that spot and not having Hopkins too. But the way it ended and having it be against Minnesota and Gary Kubiak with Dom Capers as a defensive assistant and having all three former Texans coaches in the same field and now having Houston fall at 0-4 and maybe this non-playoff season that's going to happen is even the final thing that fires Bill O'Brien. It's all too perfect and square and circular. Uh, it's all too perfect and square and beautiful. And uh, I do think this is a really good example of synchronicity from a Houston Texans football perspective. Definitely, definitely. It it just feels like like this is just the inevitable decline of Bill O'Brien and his super complicated offense, and just like not being able to utilize his receivers and forcing his team to get structured around his coaching. And it just not working. And the sad thing is, is that I don't think this, I don't think ownership will realize the end to the story. And Bill O'Brien's going to hang around here for longer than he should. So, who knows when the end of the story is? It feels like it's coming up soon, but I don't know when the final page is coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll talk about you know Brian Cathy in this episode too. But I, I completely agree. And you know all that sort of speculation, like until it happens, I don't, I'm not entirely sure it's ever going to happen. Um, but yeah, it really was a perfect ending this game. So kind of like digging deeper into some more specific matchups from today's loss against the Minnesota Vikings. Who do you blame more for Houston's offensive struggles? Do you think it was the coaching scheme and play calling, or do you think it was Deshaun Watson's fault? I think it was, I think it's very similar to last week. It was the coaching taking the ball out of his hands more than it was putting it in and giving him a lot of third and longs because of running the ball up the middle, getting few yardage and forcing him to operate 
and like do or die situations that he is just like, you can't expect a quarterback to win every single time in third and long. Um, so I would definitely put it on Bill O'Brien's play calling, especially in the first half where they were, it, it reflected the second half of last week's game against Pittsburgh a lot where they were just, they were, they were conservative to an obnoxious degree, even when they were down by two scores and refused to change to passing the ball more and gave watch, gave Washington a shorthand more often than not. And Bill O'Brien's play calling might have even been worse than Tim Kelly's was last week. So I'm not really sure what drove him to make this decision because he certainly isn't looking better right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it was worse too. And I uh, I think kind of, I don't know, I, I can't stop thinking about that quote he had in that Ravens game at halftime where he was like, yeah, we need to get the ball to David Johnson and uh, not really like cute ways or whatever. It's like, you're down by you know two scores right now. You don't need to give the ball to David Johnson. But yeah, I think that you mentioned a great point with third downs. Houston was three was three for twelve on third downs. They faced a third down of three uh third and two, which led to an incomplete pass to Randall Cobb. They faced a third and six. Watson was sacked for negative seven yards in that play. They faced a third and one. They converted with the run. Faced a third and eight. Watson threw an incomplete pass short right to Kenny Stills. They faced a third and one, converted with the right tackle run for four yards. Faced a third and nine through an incomplete pass. Um so like these were longer third down situations. They had third and goal at Minnesota's ten yard line. They had another third and third and one, but then they they ended up throwing a touch on the following pay, play. Um, they faced a third and four. I, you know these actually were kind of more manageable third downs than you expect. But they had third and twenty three on their final drive before the game winning attempt too. And so I I don't know like it was it was all kind of a mess. And I do think Watson kind of had a bad game this time. But I do think the biggest problem that Houston's had on offense from like a Watson perspective is, you know, one, first, the pass protection is better this game. But they also want to run this like two tight end set where they don't have two really good tight ends. And they want to run this drag flat RPO offense, but their times can't block well. And teams are forcing the hand getting actually any of the pass options out of it. And they again, they don't block well on those runs, too. And like that's supposed to be their foundation of their offense that they want to run plays off of. But that yeah. play doesn't work. It's a bad play. It's an ineffective play. And they're building the entire offense around this stupid play that doesn't work well. And like today, we finally saw like a play butt off of it with that touchdown pass to Will Fuller where they threw a poster off it. And that was cool. But it's like you've run this play you know, 80 times this year, and you've gotten one really great successful playoff or two. And you include that one, that touchdown pass they threw to Darren Fells earlier this year. And that's what this offense is based around. And then they flip from that to being spread and empty and running, you know, 10 personnel, 11 personnel. And now all of a sudden Deshaun Watson's like working this dichotomy between hanging the ball off, making the same read, not doing a whole lot, and then having to orchestrate, you know, the really complicated uh, EP system where he's making half-field reads and having to, having to bounce from one side of the field to the other. Receivers aren't open, and the pass protection's bad. And I just think he's had trouble like having a good feel for um, this offense yeah. to start the season as well, too. Definitely. And I mean... Maybe this is part of Bill O'Brien's plan. Run an offense that only works, you know, 5% of the time, and they'll never expect it. <laughs> but, um, like, speaking of that rushing attack, like, man, I, I don't know. David Johnson looked pretty good in that Kansas City game. He looked awful the past two weeks, but I gave him the benefit of the doubt because of how good Baltimore's and Steelers' defense was. But he had open space a few times in this game. And he just didn't look like he had the juice anymore. He looked mm-hmm. like Aaron, he looked 
like the Arizona David Johnson of last year where, I mean, I was expecting him to have some of his like padded jump cuts and he just fell down or he just got tackled at his ankles and never made a good play. So it's just everything is looking bad right now. Everything like David Johnson was I mean, you could barely even call him a silver lining, but at least he looked at least he had a few highlights at the beginning of the year. But this time, I mean, he didn't have the juice. Yeah, I think it's a great point, too, because like he looked noticeably different in that Kansas City game that he looked all year in Arizona. And he hasn't shown that sort of like burst in the outside. Like he had that one touchdown round against Kansas City so far this year. And like I was saying, like, you know, the problem with this offense isn't David Johnson. There's the other factors around it. But the problem yeah. with this offense is that they traded DeAndre Hopkins for him. And he's not the type of running back who transcends bad pass for te- or bad run blocking. You know, like he's not Dalvin Cook. And like this year mm-hmm. he's averaging... 2.1 yards after contact uh, this year, which, and like Dalvin Cook's averaging 3.4. Like 2.1 is like fine, it's average, but it's not worth $11 million a year. It's not no. worth, you know, DeAndre Hopkins' in a second round pick. And even like him in the, even him in the pass game, like it hasn't worked, but they've been, they haven't been able to get him going in the pass game. Deshaun Watson and haven't had a good feel for each other. A good example is that Sluggo route. He rang against Baltimore where Watson missed him because he was trying to lead him up the sideline away from the cornerback. And you know, Johnson cut him up the field and was, mm-hmm. you know, three yards away from that football. And they had that miscommunication there. And like, it, yeah. it hasn't worked. It hasn't gelled, you know, at all. No. And and the thing is, this, this offensive scheme that you've been talking about, like its failure is leading to a lot of three and outs and a lot of short drives for the Texans, which is putting their defense on field way, way more than they have to be. The Texans have been have been outpossessed by the other team's offense by a lot over the course of these four games. And it's putting more on that defense that already has a dearth of talent. And I mean, the fact that Houston's even been close in a couple of these games because of their defense is impressive um, because the team has been outpossessing Houston for the past four weeks. And it's pretty embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And they haven't had a lead at all either. I think, I don't think Houston had a lead all this entire game. And they try to you know, tie at the very last second, but I think they were behind playing this entire game as well too. Um, you know, going back to Watson, like he was bad this first half, and I know like on this podcast and uh, everything that I write, like I never write anything bad about Deshaun Watson. I think he's beautiful and perfect, and you know he's an angel. But you know he was bad this first half, and I really it was really been you know kind of weird this week, and even a few throws earlier this year were throws that were automatic, like those quick outs and quick curls. He's missing guys, and he hasn't really missed those uh, short routes before. He's missed, you know, two bad deep throws, you know, that one to David Johnson, that also one to Brandon Cooks against Vince Williams last week, too. And he hit round Cobb in the following play, so it didn't hurt exactly. But he hasn't been, you know, as good as he's been as a passer in previous seasons, too. And uh, and especially on the run, like, some of these throws he was making on the run were, like, just kind of ugly and distorted. Yeah. And it just hasn't yeah. looked like him. His body language has been bad. He always has a towel around his head. He looks like a sad puppy, you know, like stuck in the PetSmart kennel, you know, or like a, a foxing song about, um, you know, being stuck in a kennel, you know. And it's it's been it's been really sad and really has hurt my, you know, it's been very upsetting to watch him play at times this year too. So like, do you have any concerns about Deshaun Watson regressing at all, or is this just you know a bad start, or is this an offensive issue? I for the first three weeks I I was convinced that it was an offensive issue and he was just a product of the scheme of the terrible scheme that he was in and that he's actually a good quarterback but it's a mess but this game I mean he did he had several 
like big time misses that hurt Houston in the end. So at this point, like he's been balancing the line between Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers for the past few years. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping this year would be the year that he would show everyone that he is Aaron Rodgers caliber, but he's going, he's going the other direction. And Mm -hmm. he's getting into the worse than Derek Carr territory at this point. And it's scary. It's really scary. Kirk Cousins and, and his offensive line flat out beat Deshaun Watson and his offensive line this Mm -hmm. entire game. Like Kirk Cousins looked like an MVP. And I like that idea is like where he's like balancing, you know, that line between Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers, where he makes all these great, spectacular plays. But at the same time, you know, he's constantly dealing with pressure, dealing with sacks. And like his box score looks good. You know, 20 to 33, Mm -hmm. 300 yards, 9.1 yards in attempt, two touchdowns, zero reception, sacked three times, lost 10 yards. He has a QBR of 37.9. And QBR, you know, weights, um, expected points added for every play too. And uh, like, yeah, and I mean, like it, it did like his box score did not match his performance this game. He was better in the second half, but a lot of stories he's missing the first half are really concerning. And like for me watching him, I think the biggest problem for the first three weeks was, you know, the pass protection where they went from being unable to protect stunts that they've been picking up since they were in middle school. to last mm-hmm. week, just like having some blown, you know, one versus one blocks here at time. And this week, like the pass protection was good. But I think Watson's been having trouble trying to balance between getting the ball out quickly as a short passer and then when to break out of the pocket, make these plays where he turns to the third and to the fourth and becomes the the quaternity. And he's been having trouble like balancing that. And also like a lot of these really incredible Deshaun Watson plays we've used to see over the last, you know, few years since he's been a rookie in the league. We haven't seen them this year. They've been missing. And yeah, and like he breaks out, he breaks like three tackles, he gets out wide, and nothing's open downfield. And like one of the things that was really spectacular about him and Hopkins on the same team was Hopkins would see that and he would bend his routes back to him and get open. A really good example is that catch he had against Tennessee in the fourth quarter last year. Um, that non-defensive pass interference penalty he had against Baltimore last year. That like favorite he had against Buffalo in the wild card round last year. Those are all examples of DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson improvising and Hopkins breaking his routes off to get open. And Houston hasn't had that this year. Jordan Aikens is the only guy who's good at doing that. Um, you know, last week we saw Kenny Stills lazily come back to the ball, which lets that interception on that third and 15 attempt. And so Watson mm-hmm. hasn't done those Watson, hasn't made those Watson plays where he's been able to carry the offense entirely on his own. And so like, they've, they've missed that this year too, because so much of this offense has been like, well, yeah, the structure kind of sucks and the system kind of sucks, but Watson can pull something off and make it happen and, you know, dump it off to Tywan Jones and he can run, you know, to the three yard line and, and we'll make it work out from there, you know? <laughs> it's like they saw that one play and it's like let's structure an entire offense around that um, <laughs> but, but yeah it's like Deshaun Watson does not have a receiver that he has that connection with and I was hoping it'd be Will Fuller who is by far like the veteran and like you know the new number one receiver but he's he hasn't been doing it and when when Deshaun Watson when he goes out to scramble and he's completely reliant on Jordan Aikens mm-hmm. to extend the play that's not a good sign. And especially when Jordan Aikens came out with a concussion and Deshaun Watson was practically lost every time he was scrambling, that was even worse. So mm-hmm. I don't want an offense that relies on Jordan Aikens to extend the play. I like Jordan Aikens and all, but he's not DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah, he's a supplementary player. And I think one of the problems that like Cooks has in those situations and Cobb and 
and Fuller and all them, they're short players, you know? Yeah. But they can't, it's hard for them to come back and box somebody out and make catches and get themselves between the ball and the football, um, or get themselves between the ball and the defender. And that's one of the things that Akins is really good at doing, and same thing with Hopkins uh, before he was traded too. And I do think they're missing that aspect of the offense too. Not um, yeah, and the other thing about going back to Watson, too, like Houston's needed Watson to be an MVP caliber player for this team to win football games. That's how it worked last year. The year before that, you know, an 18 is built around a really great, an all-time great run defense, and they played against they played they played they played against a bunch of bad quarterbacks. You know, they beat rookie year Josh Allen, who got hurt that game, and Nathan Peterman had come in and you know, he threw a pick six, and like they beat Case Keenum, and they beat Alex Smith after he broke his leg. And all these kind of weird things happen as far as the quarterbacks they played in 18. Saw they come back. You know, last year Watson was spectacular. And this year he hasn't been an MVP MVP caliber player. He hasn't made those spectacular plays. And you're also looking at a team now that's even relying on him even more because they actively got worse this offseason by the Hopkins trade, by only adding Eric Murray to this defense, by having a draft class that has provided nothing of value at all so far to start the season too. And you know, Watson hasn't done that. And he hasn't done it for... You know, I think is the is the offensive play calling you know, is the big reason why. But even him, you know, as his performance has been, he hasn't been to Sean Watson yet this year either. No, no, and it's and it's a scare and it's a scary sight to see seeing someone that we came into this knowing that Deshaun Watson was the Texans were going to live and die by his arm, and he's not putting it up, and that's terrible. And part of me was thinking that uh, the reason that we traded DeAndre Hopkins and brought in David Johnson is that Bill O'Brien was having a sort of power trip after two consecutive mm-hmm. seasons of turning a, what most people thought of, a bum running back in Lamar Miller and a bum running back in Carlos Hyde into Pro Bowl caliber runners in two consecutive seasons that he probably thought he could turn David Johnson back to his MVP caliber form. And that's not showing up. So that's another, you know, uh, negative like asterisk on Bill O'Brien's play calling is that he has not been able to turn David Johnson into anything special, meaning that there is even more relying on Deshaun Watson. And they've been both taking it taking it out of his hands and force feeding David Johnson, waiting for him to explode. It's not happening. And the few times that Deshaun Watson gets the ball he's expected the world and where he's usually been been able to perform under those conditions, he has not been this far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And, you know, and like there really are Lamar Millering, David Johnson this year and how they're being used. Like with David Duke Johnson, they're they're a good idea of like what you want in a, for running backs and, you know, modern offense where it's like, yeah, each of them may get 10 carries a game, but they're each going to have five catches and they're going to play the same amount of time and they're going to stay mm-hmm. fresh throughout the game. You may run some, you know, dual running back sets on the shotgun and do some cute and fun things with there, but they haven't done that at all. They're like, yeah. We're going to try to run outside zone, but it doesn't work because we can't block that. Yeah, we're going to try to run um, counter, but it won't work because this guy doesn't get up to the second level. Yeah, we're going to run you know, duo, but it's not going to work because we our first combo block is bad. And this guy makes a play here. And like every run play they run, it's like five guys make their block, but one guy does it and it blows up the entire play. And there's no mm-hmm. consistency or un- unity at all there either. And so like, I don't like David Johnson has been good this year. But I don't blame David Johnson, even though like he is, I like he's been better this year from like a look perspective than he was in Arizona, which isn't saying a whole lot because he was the worst no. running back in Arizona last year. 
But like yeah. he doesn't have anything to work with. The passing game, he hasn't been used very well in that situation too. And like I want to see more from him because you never want, you never like actively want to see a player play poorly. Uh, but yeah, it hasn't worked and it's been you know very frustrating too. So going back to the passing game and talking about the wide receivers this game, I mentioned Brand Cooks earlier and we had a question from at fan I know and he asked, uh, where was Brand Cooks this game? Because he was over, he caught zero passes on three targets for zero yards. Uh, what did you see from Brand Cooks? Did you pick up on him at all out there? No, he's gone. He's just practically gone. It's really weird. I guess. I guess. The, I mean, they only targeted him three times. He had that drop. He had two drops, um, from what I remember. And like, I guess the Houston offense was just con- like completely focused on using him as a decoy or something and trying to give the ball to David Johnson and Will Fuller. And it worked a couple times, but I don't know. Maybe his like uh, leg injury has gotten worse or something, and they just completely just he was just pretty much just a prop there. I don't know. He was non-existent on the field. Yeah, I don't know either. And that leg injury really concerned me in week um, in week one because he's a guy who relies entirely on his speed, and so and he's he's short. You know, he's like five ten, and so any sort of hindrance to his speed is going to really limit him as a receiver. So if Cooks mm-hmm. is ninety percent as fast. He's like half as good of a player as he is because he has to beat guys by running horizontally to create space and then taking off vertically to create space because he's not going to win the catch point at all. He needs like four yards of separation to do anything, and he hasn't been able to do that all this year too. But yeah, I didn't see him. I didn't see anything in particular at all. I wasn't really watching that when I was watching the game live. I was more focused on you know the offensive line, kind of run blocking. And that sort of stuff I was interested in. And it was kind of fun watching you know, Larry Tensel get in Chianic and Gawkway a lot too. Because uh, Tensel stopped him the entire time, which was you know fun. Like usually Gawkway has like four sacks against Houston, they play each other. But yeah, I yeah. didn't pick up I didn't pick up on anything regarding Brand Cook specifically this game. It was just it was just he wasn't the focal point of the offense, either that or the song watching was terrified of whatever rookie corner was covering him or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess the one good thing out of this game was Larry Tunsil did his job again. Yeah, he's he's still weird though. Like he, like Larry Tunsil's like ninety percent awesome, but like in the run in the run game, there's too many issues, and he like you he doesn't do enough stuff that you can build like plays around. Another good example is that screen passing through to David to Duke Johnson, where he has to make that block in the alley. He never makes that block. Like he mm. never he never gets flat enough. He never makes that block. They can't run screen passes because they don't have a tackle that can get out there in the flat and make that block out there either. And like Tensel's spectacular at doing that one thing, which is blocking down the blind side and protecting against whoever's up against him one versus one matchups. He's incredible at it. He's one of the best in the league at it. But that's not worth, you know, twenty million dollars, two first round picks and a second round pick, you know. Mm-hmm. And the Texans pass protection still hasn't been great this year. Um, even with Tensel there being really good at that one thing. And what Tensel allows an offense to do is to not have to worry about Yannick Ngakwe. They don't have to worry about Justin Houston um, when they play those teams. They don't have to worry about Bud Dupree. But again, the offensive line is like an entire collection of individuals, and including tight ends, including running backs, including the quarterback. And uh, it, again, like that position is not worth how much they've invested into it. Not No, not at all. And after such a heavy investment and all of the first and second round picks that are there, you'd expect that to be one of the best in the league. And from how they were hyping up this offense, the preseason, I think everyone was, and it's been one of the worst. And that's not on Deshaun Watson at all. 
I mean, he does hold the ball a lot sometimes and he does, you know, look for the best play a lot, but it's not his fault most of the time. And it's, and it makes me wonder if that's why they've been running the ball more and doing these weird quick passes, even though they have this, these embarrassment of speedy receivers is that maybe they're, maybe the coaching staff has already completely, they completely given up on the offensive line and their pass protection. They're going to try something else and it's, and they've been fumbling the whole time, Mm -hmm. but Play calling is worse with Bill O'Brien. Uh, offense is one of the worst in the league right now, and it's look and it looks worse. And with a Vikings rush defense that was one of the that that is one of the worst in the league still, and we still were this bad. And I don't know. I don't. I don't. There's there's nothing good to take out of this game offensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like Cooks, I'm looking at the average yards of separation per target. And New England is at five point two. Uh, his last good year in Los Angeles is at 2.6. It's at 2.6 as well this year. So, like, it's the same as it was in Los Angeles. So it's not a noticeable difference. But that year in New England, he had he averaged 5.2, which kind of says a lot. I mean, it's it's like the way they ran their offense is a lot different. But the way they used him is a lot different than how Los Angeles used him. But numerically, it doesn't really kind of lock down some of the problems he's had this year too. But they needed to get a whole lot out of him. And he hasn't been able to do that at all. And my other concern with them too is I wasn't expecting him to be used on a lot of those like slants and inwards breaking rounds and jet sweeps and screens at all that he was used in Los Angeles because of the concussion issues that he's had. And Houston really hasn't used him those ways either. Like he's just pretty much running you know vertical routes that carry defenders as a decoy and deep crossing patterns. He's not doing any of those things that create consistent easy first downs. And like that's the big gap in this offense right now is that they don't have any easy way to create easy yards. They don't have an easy way to create yards. There's no like go-to play that they can run and collect first downs at all. Everything's really difficult. Everything's really strenuous. Everything's, you know, really tough for this offense. And so that's and like again, like there's just so many things wrong um with Houston offensively. And that's just another one of the myriad of reasons that they've you know, have failed so much to start off the 2020 season. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you saying that, it reminded me of the, the announcers for this game towards the fourth quarter. They were talking about how the Texans needed a chunk play to get down the field because it was, I think it was like second and 20 or first and 20 or something, and mm-hmm. they needed a touchdown. And they just kept saying... Like, and they the hand the ball like off, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they hand off the ball, and then they do On first really and 20, yeah. Yeah, like passing plays, like, Where's the chunk play? You have these receivers. You have Cobb, like a great, you know, get him an open space and he'll, and like great slot receiver, got 800 yards in Dallas last year doing that. Like you have these chunk play receivers, use them, but they're not. And what scares me, this is, this is, this is the worst thing I've thought of so far is that you talking about that it reminded me of the Browns last year where they went all in on Baker Mayfield. They mm-hmm. focused the offense around him. They tried to make him a, a under center quarterback that stayed in the pocket and passed the ball a lot. And Baker Mayfield crumbled and like the entire Browns team with all the talent they had on offense that year just fell apart because Brown just couldn't handle being the center of the offense every single snap. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't think Watson's on that level because I think Watson has proven that he can do that, but I don't know if he can handle this level. And I think, he needs these chunk plays that uh, Patrick Mahomes and like Russell Wilson get in Seattle, mm-hmm. Kansas City. Like they have those, you know, let's get a 10 yard play to move down the field. Let's use Travis Kelsey. Let's use our running backs for a quick passing play. 
and mm-hmm. they haven't used Duke John- Johnson. They they haven't used Darren Fells much. They haven't used David Johnson much. And it's just they're making things more complicated and putting more pressure pressure into Sean Watson, and he's he's collapsing under it. Yeah, that may, and I think the Browns are a good comparison um, to that as well too, where it's like you're adding all this talent, you know, here in the side of the ball, you're making this big offensive change. I think one thing that's different, like I don't think Houston had the same like narrative and push that Cleveland had last season. No. Um, I think a lot of people who like you know understand that the trade was bad and things like that. They were kind of expecting Houston to drop off, but like I expected Houston to still be good enough to be like the number seven seed. Uh, just because of you know Deshaun Watson that hasn't you know and he hasn't been good enough this year to carry the entire offense on his own and you know just be better than the entire team on his own, which is like something only three quarterbacks can do as well too. Um, and lastly, you know the offense, I have like three quick receiver things. I thought it was really cool whenever Jordan Aiken stretched the seam on that pass that you knocked him out with that concussion, but they've missed that in this offense. They haven't used him to stretch the seam at all. He has the speed and size to be able to torch linebackers and create those easy throws or those easy, like deeper throws like that. And uh, that was an enormous play. And, like Watson's three 20 plus yard throws for that one, the fade to Will Fuller. And then that throw to the touchdown pass to Kenny Stills that beat zone coverage. Those that was it. And he was three for three. And again, like their decision to not push the ball downfield more often this game is why they lost this game at the end of the day. Um, Ronald Cobb had a cute little out route against the linebacker. That was fun. Uh, Will Fuller, this is like the first time he looked like <laughs> Will Fuller. I still, I think Will Fuller is a Batman. I mean, I think he's a Robin. He's not Batman, as Zach Taylor said it. Um, I think he's a bat. I think he's a Robin, not Batman. But he looked more like Will Fuller this game. Finally, Kenny Stills finally did something that was cool. And I also think too, like whenever you watch Mahomes and Wilson and how they create those easy scrambles for first downs, that's because they have a vertical passing game and the whole coverage is having to you know, run downfield and cover three vertical routes, which creates those lanes for exactly. those quarterbacks to run for first downs. But Houston on third down, everything is short little short little hooks and curls and slants and outs and ins. Then muddies up, you know, the area between five and ten yards. So they're trying to be Tom Brady. And hitting those conversions like that. And there's no space for Watson to be able to run and create first downs that you, know, you see Wilson and Mahomes and Jackson you know, do so are so great doing that. You know, Watson just hasn't the chance to. Because whenever he scrambles, he tries it and he runs out bounds or takes a bad sack or throws it away because he doesn't have the space to be able to do so. Yeah, it's a it's a mismanagement of talent. And the thing that we could really have a Seahawks like offense with Deshaun Hot Watson's accuracy and intelligence and downfield passing with all the receivers we have and we could open up the middle of the field so that getting chunk plays that we desperately needed in the fourth quarter would have been so easy with Watson just you know scrambling out and getting a 10 or 15 yard run just by jogging downfield like that would be great it would it would everything would gel perfectly with that we have Bill O'Brien and unlike the Browns of last year we're probably not going to move on from him um so uh, the last time we've been uh, 0 and 4 was 2008. <laughs> I was nine years old. Uh, our leading rusher was Steve Slayton, who is currently a private cook, and uh, this was like peak Andre Johnson years. So we're in pretty historic territory <laughs> for me personally. We went we went eight and eight that year, missed the playoffs. Uh, eight and eight might be good enough to get the seventh seed this year. So. Playoffs are not an impossibility. And 0-4, there has been one 0-4 team to make the playoffs before. It was the Chargers in the 70s or 80s or something, I think. 
but uh, we are not in completely dead season land yet, but we are in full panic mode. And obviously the Texans coaching staff is since Bill O'Brien took play calling duties, but we are even in deeper uh, panic mode because of how bad he's so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did. And it's funny too, like you mentioned OA and then, you know, 18 was the year they went 0-3 and made the playoffs this whole too. And so it's, you know, the, the nice ring of the eights also sounds good too. Um, you know, I've been getting a whole lot of astrology lately and the way the moon affects my life. And this is another good example of that. <laughs> um, so defensively, the Texans have needed J.J. Watt to be J.J. Watt this season after adding only Eric Murray to this defense. And yes, they drafted some defensive players, but they haven't made an impact on this team at all whatsoever this year. This game against a bad Minnesota Vikings offensive line, he had two solo tackles and that's it. So do you think Watt's been Watt this season? And do you think he had a good game today? No, um, he's not been Watt so far. He had flashes in Baltimore, and I and I was hoping that would be, you know, Watt becoming himself again. But he's been virtually non-existent the past two weeks, and it's uh, really bad because of how he- how heavily the defense is relying on him to be JJ Watt. And I'm afraid that that is age catching up with him, and his injury history coming catching up with him, and that he just doesn't have the energy anymore to be all out. And I mean, you mentioned a few times on your Twitter how he's using moves that usually don't work and he's making it his entire identity this year and how it's failing him. And uh, it's just, it's really bad that PJ Hall has actually been looking better than JJ Watt so far. Yeah. I, I, I mean, why hasn't been Watt? And, you know, like, especially in the run game too, like he doesn't really play the role that much. I think today I, I watched him kind of the entire game. It looked like he put a lot more effort into stopping the run. But just like the same like jabs when moves weren't working like they usually do. And he like had problems against Riley Reef today. And that's usually a matchup that he completely crushes. He didn't provide much of a mm-hmm. pass rush at all. Um it, he just hasn't been that guy. And like, you know, years before it's like why if he's healthy, is an entire pass defense like an entire average defense on his own. And he hasn't been that this year. And he hasn't been a defensive player of the year caliber player. And that's like one of, you know, a dozen reasons why this defense has been bad this year too. So we had a question from at Phil Johnson Y, and he asked, besides JJ return defensive player of the year status, what did they honestly think was going to happen to this defense? It's crazy how hopeless every defensive drive feels. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty, it's pretty scary every time they they get on the field, and it feels like it's going to be a touchdown. Um, I w- I wasn't expecting JJ Watt to be this bad, like you said. I was hoping that uh, I was not expecting Gary and Carl. To be uh, still out in week four, mm-hmm. I thought he was going to come back quick, but he's still out. And even though he's not a great corner, man, are we missing him? Uh, mm. This was the game that Vernon Hargraves proved that he is not good. Um, and uh, Bradley Roby uh, proved to be not good as well. He was completely embarrassed by uh, Adam Seal in this game. Uh, I, that's something I wasn't expecting. I was hoping Bradley Roby would take a step forward this year and Gary and Conley would take a step forward this year. And then Vernon Hargraves would be a contributor, but mm-hmm. they've been, they were virtually non-existent this past week. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Justin Reed has been uh, an average contributor at best. Um, so it's just been the entire, they, they are the Texans. I think entering this game, were in the top five in passing defense. But I think this game was proof that that's just. I think probably by, they were just by, cut up by yards by too. Kirk Cousins. 
Yeah, and that's probably yeah. by yards also. Like, whenever teams are up, they're not going to throw the ball as much. And whenever you those cumulative yeah. stats, you know, that's one that thinks about it. Um, yeah, I completely agree with everything you said uh, regarding that. And, like, that was kind of the problem. I think, you know, going back to Phil's question here, like, I think they thought, like, well, we got some young players and another year in the system. Uh, you know, a bunch of guys will get better, like Roby, like Hargraves. We'll find something to do with, with Lion Johnson Jr. Um, Conley will be better this year as well, too. J.J. Watt will be healthy. And I think they just kind of bet like their own internal upside development. And like the Texans with Bill Bryan's head coach, you know, they developed McKinney and Cunningham into good players. And Justin Reed has become a good player too. But other than that, like nobody's developed on this defense during Bill O'Brien's time here as a head coach. And then, you know, they've had like they've had some like spot contributors, but it hasn't been so level that they've needed, especially when you consider how many players they've lost since that 2016 defense and since that 2018 defense as well. And they haven't added, you know, a plus star to that front seven since then either. But I do think they were just guessing, well, we have we like the players we have in place and they should get better another year here. And they were expecting to do things that they haven't done before. Like Bradley Roby's never been a lockdown number one cornerback. He's been a, a good player, but never that level of player. Like you mentioned, Thielen had a really great game. Vernon Hargreaves has never been good. He's the weak spot on this on the secondary, and teams are attacking him over and over again. He's playing outside cornerback because Gary and Conley's hurt. Like you mentioned, I don't particularly think Conley's very good, but the difference between him and Hargraves outside is an enormous difference. And Lonnie Johnson Jr. is just playing safety and like has complete blinders where he just focuses on his matchup and doesn't see the entire field at all and just doesn't have any feel for that position at all whatsoever. And I have no idea what's going to... I don't see him ever working on Houston after seeing how they've been using him at safety and like just the way he looks out there too. So... There's a lot of bad things going on there right now. Our next question is from at Smooth Grandma, and he asked, who is more frustrated right now, Joe, J.J. Watt or Deshaun Watson? J.J. Uh, Watt. So, but J.J. Watt, like you mentioned earlier, is supposed to be an entire defensive line on his own, and he's been a non-factor for every game except for the Baltimore game. So mm-hmm. this is a recipe for failure for the, for the Texans, and they were banking – on him to be good and he's been bad so it's just they, they have to they have to completely restructure their defense now around his inability to make a difference and i think i think a big part of it you know they have the worst russian defense in the league and that's been your contributing factor what lost every single game it's pretty much the number one reason that they are 0-4 is how bad their rush defense is. And that's not entirely on J.J. Watt. That's a collective, you know, failure by the defense. But he's supposed to be he's supposed to be the big guy that makes the impact. And it's it's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like, he's... I don't think he's been bad, but he hasn't been every down impact level player. You know what I mean? Like they needed him to be um, like Miles... Like, like Jeffrey Simmons in Tennessee. And he hasn't even been that all this year. I think that's been one of the one of the major problems is defense too. I think Watt is probably more. I don't know. They're like different personalities. Like Watt's a lot more outspoken and brash about you know he's pissed and you know he wants him to be better and what Blacklock did whenever he punched the guy was inexcusable. And Watson's a lot more you know calm and laid back and then they just have different personalities. So it's hard to pick which one. But Watt is definitely more openly frustrated um, right now. Uh, their thing about this game too is that run defense is really bad. They allow 162 yards and 40 carries. And, you know, Gary Kubiak was really feeling himself this game. I'll never forget that draw sweep he ran fourth and three to convert with Kirk Cousins. I think he beat Brent Scarlett to the edge on that run, which was absolutely unbelievable. And one of the hard things about this defense, too, is that 
you know, the run defense used to be one of the strengths of this team. You know, going back to 2018, they had all-time great defense. They've lost, um, they lost, during that time, they lost, uh, they lost DJ Reader. They lost Kareem Jackson. They lost Davion Clowney. They haven't added, you know, a plus player that front seven since then as well either. And now they're stuck with, you know, the same players other than them. But now they're year, now they're two years older and they're worse. Winnie Merciless is worse. JJ Watts worse. Worse. Uh, McKinney looks worse this year. Cunningham hasn't been the same after getting paid too. And now the run defense is now one of the worst parts of this team, which used to be like the one thing they could hang their hat on, force teams into longer third down situations. And now they came to do that, and the game's shorter, and it's made things a lot tougher too. Um, why do you think the run defense has been so bad in 2020? It's been um, the dearth of talent on the defensive line. J.J. Watt not being J.J. Watt, and uh, the linebackers uh, being uh, just like outright ineffective for the first few games. Finally, this game. Uh, last week, Bernard McKinney looked pretty good. This week, Zach Cunningham had a few good tackles, but they still they haven't been the dominating force that they were in yesteryear. And that's probably a lot of uh, because the defensive line is so much worse and that they usually like had a second before they had to worry about tackling the running back. But now they're the first line of defense a lot of the time. So it's just been it's been pretty it's been pretty mm-hmm. terrible um, with every one of our star players playing worse than they normally do. And I don't know where it starts. It's probably a combination of J.J. Watt playing worse and Zach Cunningham playing worse uh, because they're the two, you know, focal points of the rush defense. And they're just it, it they're just way worse than they've normally been. And it's mm-hmm. it's 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 carried the Texans from become, being one of the best rush defenses in the NFL for the past few years to one of the worst. It was just two players mainly that were a meteoric downfall of the difference. Yeah. Which is scary. Yeah. And I mean, I think also too, like the players they lost by losing Jackson, I think you can include Ty Matthew there. Like he was a good mop and bucket tackler and same thing with Justin Reed. And they just kind of flip roles where, you know, Reed's playing that role more often and they have an actual slot cornerback or in theory, they have a slot cornerback now, uh, but they lost, you know, like by losing clowning and having Watt being older too. Like Woody Merciless isn't, crushing tight ends as well either the point attack not having clean mm. jackson they don't make the same amount of negative plays and i think that's one of the problems too but like r- the run defense i'm seeing they're not tackling well their first level they're not creating any sort of penetration at all they're not mudding up run lanes they're not making it hard for pullers to pull it all and whenever they get combo blocked they're being kind of like i don't know the best they're being very meek at the point attack like they're going down one knee they're crumpling too easy they're allowing first level blockers to get the second level too easily. And uh, and the third thing on the edges, they haven't set the edge well at all. And like whenever you have Merciless against a tight end, he has to whip that tight end. Whenever you have Scarlet against a tight end, he has to win that matchup. Uh, they mm-hmm. kind of benched Jake and Martin this week. You know, he wasn't out there at all against a run heavy team. And he's had his own problems against the run because he weighs you know, 245 pounds. And yeah. I don't know, like, you know, like, I, I don't know. And so he has trouble there sending the edge too. And so they're not forcing things back to the interior at all either. And so their run defense is really McKinney and Cunningham having to make these really heroic, you know, plays to stop the run. And they're not tackling us well this year too. And these are harder uh, matchups for them to make. They're having to make more difficult plays than they're accustomed to making. And they haven't stepped up as well either. And you know, found that next gear, which is completely understandable. You know, it's been a lot tougher for them this year than they've been previous years. And, you know, I expected the run defense to drop off without DJ Reader, but I was expecting it to be like, you know, average. 
I wasn't expecting it to be one of the worst run defenses in football, which is where they're at right now. And it was one of the worst run defenses in football this week against Minnesota. It's uh, it's not looking good, especially with Jacksonville coming up and James Robinson looking great. I haven't seen the Cincinnati-Jacksonville game yet. Maybe James Robinson was bad. But, man, he's been just plowing through lines mm-hmm. so far. So Yeah, I he's mean, fine. I, I'm bank- yeah. yeah, I'm banking on the Texans to get their first win against Jacksonville. But James Robinson has proved to be a legitimate threat. And without uh, DJ Reader, we are practically inviting them to just feed him. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, not good. It's, it's, it's really scary <laughs> being on a Houston team that was so good at something for years and years and all of a sudden are now worse in the league. They're not even just mediocre, like you said. They're worse than the league. And like, and they've had a good run defense going back to like, I don't know, you know, 2014. It was bad at times. 15. It was bad at times. To Vince Wolfork there, and it took them a little while to get their their run defense going. But it's been something that's been good like since the second half of 15. It's kind of gone away. I would like to write a film room this Thursday or Wednesday about um, the Texans run defense specifically. But I'm a coward and trying to fall in love, so I'm not all the time to be able to do that this week. But hopefully, hopefully sometime soon. Um, I can take, I can write that all as well too. But yeah, I mean, it's been bad this year and that's, you know, again, there's so many things wrong, um, with this team right now. And like, I, it's kind of funny, like hear you say kind of the same thing or whatever. He's like, yeah, well, it's not good. It's not good. And I think everyone in these segments we've had good, it's not good from you. And I think it's kind of summed up the season pretty well. The next question yeah. is from at smooth grandma. And he asked, who's the big play player of the week? So last year we had the Barcavius Mingo big play. Or we call him Big Play Mingo last year because, like, he wouldn't do anything at all and then he'd block a punt. Or he'd make, like, a big special teams tackle. Or, like, he'd be in there, like, on a rare, like, fourth down run stop. And so we were calling them calling him that last year. And, you know, Smith Grandma asked this question, you know, last season, like, who's going to be the Big Play player this year? And I think I got it finally after four weeks of the season. I think it's P.J. Hall. And, like, Hall, he has... Yeah, I think it has to be him. And, like, he's really boomer bust. Like, when you watch the film... Like I would say like 60% of his plays are negatives where, you know, he's getting reached, you know, on an outside zone play or he's not doing enough against a double team, you know, against duo. But like he makes enough, he makes enough plays. He flashes enough where it's like, yeah, this is a fine, you know, August uh, waiver wire pickup. And again, like you see him on the screen, you know, probably three or four times at a position where you don't see Carlos Watkins at all, for example, or you don't see Ross Blacklock at all. And uh, so I think we're going to go with uh, big play PJ Hall for the rest of the year. I'm glad at least we got that answered um, for this week's loss against Minnesota Vikings. There's always a silver lining. There's always a silver lining. Big boy <laughs> PJ Hall. He yeah, looks I like, like he, it. He looks like he looks like a gigantic form of Jadevian Clowney. Yeah, he's the Majin Buu version of Clowney. I've, I've been meaning <laughs> to post that, but I haven't I haven't done it quite yet. But probably it's tomorrow. A perfect. It's a perfect name for him. It's perfect. Um. <laughs> so I don't have anything else about this game specifically to talk about, but we'll talk about Bill O'Brien and answer the rest of our really great listener questions tonight. So like kind of real quick here, this is kind of like a rapid fire question, some rapid fire questions for you um, before it gets to our listener questions. When do you think Houston wins their first game? Cause they play Jacksonville next week. They play Tennessee, October 18th and they play green Bay, October 25th. It's gotta be, it's gotta be Jacksonville. It's gotta be Jacksonville. Oh. The, the Jacksonville, they lost to Cincinnati and I don't think we're as bad as Cincinnati. So it's it's Jacksonville, like Tennessee. It'll be close to Tennessee, and we'll get blown out by Green Bay. But it's going to be Jacksonville. It's going to be Jacksonville. okay. 
Uh, how many losses would it take for Bill O'Brien to be fired? So Houston's currently 0-4. Would it take like you know four and eight? Would it take you know two and eight? What would it? T- how many losses would it take for Bill O'Brien to be fired this year? I think it would have to hit double digits. I don't know if it's two and ten, one and eleven, three and twelve towards the end of the season. I don't think he'll get fired this year, regardless. So maybe we're looking at more of like twenty losses, twenty straight losses. Um, but uh, yeah, it's gonna have to hit the double jog. Uh, double digits if we have any hope of him getting fired this year yeah and i I mean the way i look at it i was asked this question earlier today as well like i think i have no expectations for when it would happen or how it would happen um until it happens i don't see it occurring like it like he's a he's a rasputin figure you know and so until it occurs <laughs> i really have no feel for it at all um so yeah. our, our other listener questions tonight before tonight's show comes to a close unfortunately as much fun we've been having i guess you know uh, time, you know, the clocks of the hand will keep going in circles. But the first questions we, we have are from Smooth Grandpa, and he asked, how many coward field goals have the Texans made this year? So I count three. That one against, like, that one, well, that was a coward punt against Kansas City. So mm-hmm. that was a coward mm-hmm. punt against Kansas City. He had the bad coward field goal in Baltimore. He had another coward field goal today against Minnesota. So I, let's go three, and we'll include the punt. Um, yeah. against Kansas City as a car field goal. Am I missing anything there? Um, didn't didn't we have some like goofy punter field goal against Pittsburgh? I can't remember. Maybe I'm thinking of a different team. I'll stick with three. Too many. <sighs> That's my answer. I think in the first half they might have. They yeah. might have in the first half. I don't I know. I'm mad, mad now. About something in that Pittsburgh game. <laughs> yeah, I'm mad now for forgetting. Well, so our next question from Smooth Grammel is. Is DeAndre Carter the hero we secretly deserve? Yes. Yes, he is. I, I am a believer in DeAndre Carter. I don't know why, uh, but yes, he, he's the man. He's like he's like the Kiki QT in disguise, except he doesn't fumble the ball, except he did this game. So Yeah, he fumbles punts uh, instead. He doesn't fumble the, the catches, he fumbles the punts. Yeah, he won't fumble the catches. He's, he's, the, he's the next Will Fuller. You get him in a starting role. I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait for like Kenny Stills to tear his ACL. And like Randall Cobb to like have some hamstring injury or something before we see any DeAndre Carter in meaningful playing time. But I believe in him. I saw that play against Tampa Bay last year where he caught like a third yard pass. <laughs> That's all I needed. Yeah, like a wide open middle of the field that play. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't. They didn't. So they didn't kick a field goal against Pittsburgh. They only scored 21 points that game because they were shot in the second half. So I guess uh, we'll leave yeah. it at three then. Um, yeah, and that was another another question we have from Atfield Johnson. Why? Also, I'm convinced they only resigned Carter because he caught that deep ball in the fourth quarter against Tampa Bay last year. <laughs> I mean, other than being tough, smart, dependable. So it's there in the zeitgeist. It's in Bill O'Brien's head, probably. If it's in if it's in your head, it's in Phil's head too. Oh um, yeah, I, I don't under I don't understand the DeAndre Carter thing because he's fumbled like four kicks or so, four kicks and punts, and uh, and he still keeps getting the chance to do it every single time. And you know, he had that fumble today that only led to three points. You know, which is very fortunate. But yeah, I mean, like he, he, that, I'll never forget that, um, that kickoff against Kansas City in the ball card or the divisional round, where the camera flips to the spider cam, and it really was the Blair Witch Project, where it's like, oh no, something bad's gonna happen. He catches it, he gets hit, he fumbles. Kansas City scores, and they're, I think they were down by, you know, ten points after that, um, after he fumbled there, which was, you know, hilarious. And the next question we have here from from Smooth Grandma is, since we don't have a first round pick. 
outside Bill O'Brien being fired, is there any silver lining to losing more games? And I guess also, aside from P.J. Hall, uh, big play P.J. Hall, is there any silver lining to Houston losing more games this year? No, uh, well, you know, maybe like, maybe like the coaching staff will just blow up the season and they'll just start putting in players that don't deserve any playing time and they'll find like a diamond in the rough, like DeAndre Carter. Um, <laughs> th- that's really it. Or John Reed or something. I don't know. That's pretty much it. Yeah. You just hope that like, maybe we'll go like, you know, one and eight or something. And like Bill O'Brien will finally get put on the hot seat or something. And uh, th- besides that, I would just hope that some some goofball gets signed off the practice squad and, and, and makes some people miss. And turns out we got a good guy. That That's pretty much it. That's all I can think of. Yeah, and it, I mean, that's kind of... Miami has a top 10 pick. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the only silver lining here is like, if you like Miami's uniforms. And I don't, I don't, I like their retro ones. I like their current ones. And yeah, I mean, like if you're a Miami fan, then this only silver lining for this year. Because the problem that Houston has too, it's like, they don't have a young roster. You know what I mean? No. It's like, yeah, like Blacklock can more playing time. You know, Reed is already playing. It's like, well, Greenard could get some playing time. Uh, John Reed could... But they don't really have, you know, Kali Warring's on IR. There really isn't like any spot that isn't like a veteran position player. Like, well, at least we can get him some reps and see what he can become. Yeah. They're, they're, this is the team. You know, this is the team. Yeah. And that's the antithesis of what Bill O'Brien was saying during the offseason. It was either the offseason this past year or the year before that, that he was saying he was trying to make the team younger. And like, I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking by signing all these guys because we've gotten older. Like mm-hmm. this is as good as this team is going to get. So trying to, you know, he must've been just lying when he said he was trying to make the team younger and just yeah. not believe in his ability to, to coach players, coach them up. I, the only time I ever heard anything like that was the Brian Gain general manager draft and that off season where they didn't spend their free agency money at all. And there's like, well, they're saving it so they can build a team around Deshaun Watson. Like, yeah, but Deshaun Watson's making $4 million this year. And you don't build a team around him. You go all in, try to win a Super Bowl right now. Because again, he's making yeah. four million dollars, and you know they don't have draft capital. You know him and Tunsil are going to make like you know fifty-five million dollars combined. Um, you know in two years or whatever it's going to be, and uh, and like yeah, like it's I mean things are bleak. Like it's not just like a coaching issue; it's a talent issue as well. And you know whatever happens, you know the rest of this year, and if they make any changes, it's not like a, it's not as simple as a fix. It's like getting a different head coach. It's going to take you know a little bit more time than that. And there may be some weird, you know, stage with Watson where he has like two or three lost seasons, kind of like Aaron Rodgers had kind of like Russell Wilson had before, you know, they kind of, the team was transformed. They became playoff, like Super Bowl contenders again. And that may be something that occurs here as well, too. And I don't, I don't see this as being something really easy to fix. Um, the next question is from at CM 350. And he asks, does Bill O'Brien sit when he pee? And I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I think he stands up. <laughs> But yeah, like, I think, well, actually, I think the only time he does is whenever he kicks field goals like he kicked today and like he kicked <laughs> against Baltimore and like when he punted against uh, Kansas City that weekend. Like, I think he runs to the bathroom real fast and does that. Well, and then he or he he's in the bathroom sitting down while he makes those play calls because it, it really is like unfathomable, um, those decisions and how like how weird he tilts from. You know, like really aggressive where he goes from his own 34 yard line fourth and one against Baltimore to kicking a field goal to make it a 10 point game later on. And re- there really yeah. is no rhyme or reason sometimes in what he does there. It's like he goes from like sitting when he pees to like mega Chad. 
in like yeah. five minutes and it's like such a, like it's like gives every houston fan like whiplash <laughs> it really is whip, whiplash is a great way to describe it. it it really there's no rhyme or reason what he does and or even like that kansas city game they kick the field goal in fourth and four and then they go for the fake punt after that so like, what i don't it doesn't make any like, sense it, no. it really doesn't the inner, so the, the la- inner workings of his mind are an enigma <laughs> so last question that i it's from at McGeehan underscore Matt. And he asked, what was so bad about Gary Kubiak again? And like, look, I love Gary. I love Gary because the way Houston's offense, like I love, like those early 2010s Texans teams were so much fun to watch. And like, it was such a business game where they'd be up like 24 to three in the third quarter. Like, yeah, they're going to win this game. This is a bad team. This is going to be fun. And like, they played a, they played like a really specific system um, they, whenever they actually change defensive coordinators, invest in the defense side of the ball again. Like that defense is really ravenous and blitz heavy. And those teams again, like they were a lot of fun players. They were very fun to watch. They played a really enjoyable, specific style of football. And like that's why I miss Gary. But like Gary had his faults too. You know, like Gary couldn't get past the divisional round. He had his own errors. Um, he couldn't develop like any good sort of spread passing attacks. And Houston fell behind. They couldn't do much with it at all. So like I don't miss Gary Kubiak being the head coach in Houston. I missed maybe the days I had watching Gary Kubiak, Houston Texans football, but I wouldn't want, you know, Kubiak here again. And I, I, again, I love Gary. Gary's spectacular. It was a lot of fun watching those teams and things fell apart, but uh, I'm not like watching Minnesota today and be like, man, I wish we had Kubiak coaching this, this, uh, the system for Houston right now for Deshaun Watson. No, definitely. No, definitely. Not. I, I totally agree with you. I, there, there's a lot of things I miss about the Kubiak Texans, but he had some major faults that I never want to deal with again. Um, so I am totally fine just shelling him up in a cave in Minnesota and just moving on because yeah, as much as seeing I hate, him every four as, years is good. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm okay with that. There were some good moments when he was here, but it it was it was time to move on from him. And maybe maybe we'll be thinking the same about Bill O'Brien when we have Eric Bieniemy as our head coach. Cross my fingers. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I'll ever miss Bill O'Brien though, because like, you know, the thing about Bill O'Brien is that he's gotten the bare minimum out of this team. He's made so many yeah. decisions that hamstrung this team. And like, I mean, I don't know. The mo- the only time I've ever really had a lot of fun watching Bill O'Brien Texans football was those like five really hot weeks in 2017 when Watson was a rookie. And like, other yeah. than that, you know, like the Saints game was pretty fun last year, I guess, but. Other than that, it's just like, it's really kind of drab. It's really uninteresting in a lot of ways. It's really been frustrating mm-hmm. to watch. And it's always felt like this team should be a lot better than it is. And they aren't reaching the heights that they are because of the head coach. And, you know, there's been so many cracks in the dam. And you know, this year it's finally burst open. And the team is kind of like, they maybe they maybe should have the season in 18 or maybe should have the season in 19. Instead, it's happening you know, this year for them. Or even 2015, they had Brian Hoyer, you know. But instead, yeah. um, it's happening this year instead. Yeah, I was really thinking that, like, I, I wrote that whole, like, offseason piece about how all these additions to the offense were going to bring back those that, that hot streak during 2017 where we were scoring, like, mm-hmm. 40 points a game. I was like, this is what Bill O'Brien wants. He wants to score this much. He showed he could do it with a rookie Deshaun Watson. He finally has a franchise quarterback, and he can score this much? Like, once he gets once he gets more pieces on that offense and he has an offensive line, we're going to be scoring 50 a game. And I mean, this has been like, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm even more of a sucker now that I've said that, 
<laughs> not that I've let that. Well, out. no, but that was, that was the idea. Yeah, it's not really being a sucker. Like that was the hope, and that was the idea. And like yeah. you know, I wrote you know, I wrote my season preview. Like the offense has built an upside to it if they actually change their ways, and they haven't done so. And like mm-hmm. again, today was this is the type of game Bill O'Brien wants to play. He wants to play a close game where they have a chance to to win at the very end. But that's what he wants to do. And he had that game, and this year they're 0-2 in one-score games. They're 9-3 last year. And now the store of fortune has kind of flipped for them, and uh, they're 0-4 partly because of that too. But you know, you weren't wrong in thinking that. Like That was the hope. Those were the wishes that we had in July and August, but that hasn't been the reality here in October. And that's one of like you know 75 reasons why the Texans are 0-4 right now. <laughs> one of a million. Yeah, that may be a fun right article, right? 101 reasons why the Texans are 0 and 4 at the moment. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good yeah. idea. Yeah, maybe I'll <laughs> sit. Th- maybe I'll sit there tomorrow and put that together. We'll see. Uh, well, do you have anything else at all you want to add, Joe? Are you good for tonight? You got you got it all out of you. I think I did. I think I got like, like I man, I had such high hopes, and Bill O'Brien has has destroyed them, stomped on them, rubbed it into his cleft that it's banished um, and, <laughs> and i was just thinking that you know deandre hopkins is gone deshaun watson is going to have to level up his you know decision making because he doesn't have the safety valve anymore and he now has like a load of wide receivers that he can launch the ball to and like that 2017 offense is finally going to come back and will fuller is going to ball out and it's and i i have no hope that it's coming anytime soon it's yeah. like that that is like that is the chalice in the cave that I that I can only look at. In that. <laughs> <laughs> I I really I think we Bill O'Brien should get a tattoo above his chin above above his chin dimple that says "All hope abandons ye who entered here." And I think that's where all <laughs> the Texans' hopes and dreams this August when you know just fell right to the chin, and that's where the dragon lives, and that's the the heart of the hero's journey, and you know nobody's been able yet so i don't know they're gonna play the jaguars next week the jaguars are kind of feisty i'm excited to, to watch that game um tomorrow night sometime and see what happened between them and cincinnati because like they were fun week one they're fun week two week three you know the offense didn't make much sense without dj chark there so yeah. i don't know what occurred today but like, they've been feisty this year and mm-hmm. uh, they always play tennessee pretty well so you know who knows but um it's gonna be interesting seeing how much more time bill O'Brien's left but anyways I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bell Red Radio. And thank you for being on again tonight, Joe. Yep. That sounded good to me. I thought it was pretty good. Before history is written, Bobby Orr, behind the net, the and the it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.